Every fictional tale is exactly like real life. Regardless of point of view, first, second, or third person, the character's story comes to an end. And whilst they may not necessarily die in their fictional tale, they do end. All stories have an ending, and what is your mortality if not the end of your inner monologue? The big D in death and taxes. The inevitable. The excruciating, agonizing difference is how untidy real life is. That's where they come in. Or rather, why they come in. Why they are trying to come in. To address those messy endings. Genetic tragedies predetermined to end a person's story prematurely. The coronary aneurysm or seizure that robs us of our next chapter. They see themselves as a remedy to this specific human madness. The ultimate editor-in-chief. Stephen, need to speak soon, okay? Let's arrange a time. I've excavated a sizable chunk. These guys have deep pockets, Steve. Found connections to some questionable agencies, nonprofits, and something that hit a little too close to home. Call me. This is Petrana Foyko. It's about that neighbor again. He is, how you say, strange, but. Institute file number 8837, Public Relations Management, Section 8. Theta Sector Alpha. Universe reach several on the pool. Lay occurring at the now defunct observatory. We have received several reports of an enormous blaze occurring at the now defunct observatory last night. Have investigators said beyond identification. Occurring at the now defunct observatory last night. Have investigators saying burned beyond identification. Celebrity Tumor presents Delivery Got the skinny of Mark's little rag Another piece, albeit an ill-fitting one Another oblique reference to the observatory Another dead end Easy to blame all of this on some deadbeat deity but I suspect the truth is far more animal. Steven? This fellow up here in Alaska said something I can't shake. An old boar's nest sparkle mine where the muckmen broke their picks. Up there in Canadian territory. A ghost town but a flurry of activity, the lad tells me. Reckon something's down there. In the ice. Please sit down and hold me. Listen, Anna Crew, 
transformation from shrink to Seamus to pirate radio impresario left me with a lot of letters and even more questions. Big old pile to pour over. These, with a half-empty decanter of my own observations, didn't add up. Turns out I'd been asking the wrong questions. That certificate of origin Kenny slipped me in Alaska confirmed the doc's theory about the Canadian mine. Exactly two century notes into the right palm got me on board a vessel bound for Nunavut. What I found was a site entirely raised. Black scar on the snow. Managed my way in. Smattering of documents left rotting under a roof jack. Again the logo. Again the institute. And again a vague reference to the observatory. I want to tell it right, Stephen. I really do. But all these events are grains slipping through trembling fingers. Sure, there were the head-shrinking sessions with Bruknenko and his insistence I keep a diary whenever a memory of the courier gig surfaced. I complied, but he had his own motive. I suppose you could accuse me of being incurious when I was accepted into the Institute's clinical trial without having applied best I can figure, he stumbled into all this. Can you imagine? Explains a lot. Of all the money Bukninka was able to follow, the observatory proved the most elusive. The same accounts that poured greenbacks into mining operations and courier services also kept a noticeable torrent in the direction of the currently defunct Kincaid Observatory. Repurposed? The old doc had ideas. Needless to say, my pilgrimage wasn't pretty. You know the climax of this story. Sort of. I had to go full stowaway to get off that glacier, hid out in a shipping container shivering, still simmering over the hot comedy someone had made of that mine. I noticed the box was packed tightly with spam. I'd wedged myself in some Hormel business and was to accompany this versatile canned meat out of Arctic waters. At the very least, starvation would not be my sparring partner. 
aptitude research. Guess I suspected this early on, why I sent them off to you. They had a whole sci-fi get-up in Brooks' lab at the Institute. He'd strap me in and waste no time using my arms as a dartboard for all manner of intravenous. Tuesday's the worst day of the week. Monday gets all the press, but Tuesday's the worst. Long hot shower. Wash away the perfume du hormel and bad memories. Lay down on the leather sofa and slept. Sad dreams. Empty. Falling slowly. Woke up and went for a water. Returned with a half-full bottle of Bunahaben and poured four fingers of oblivion. The leaves I rustled in Nunavut had a single new thing. The possible location of the observatory. There was the water-damaged bit of the document, but a capital K was left legible. Some biochemistry business scrawled by impatient hands referenced the core samples. Those hands daydreamed of nebulas and dark matter. The single malt made its way into my belly and dropped my lids. I fell asleep. Dreamed lightless in freefall. Sense of being pulled downward. Gravity. Pulling. Toward. Something. Woke up to the pitter-patter of drizzle outside. Evening. Woke up to a seven o'clock shiver. Strange to wake up after sunset. Like the world has put on its evening gown and is mixing a nightcap of sweet nothings. Pulled myself up and poured myself another finger. That time I worked as a courier. Deep hypnotic regression with an ex-Soviet shrink. Insidious industrial parks and freakish obsessions. What the hell has my life become, Stephen? A single mistaken exit ramp cannot explain such a derailing. 48 hours ago, I'd been deep in the Arctic permafrost chasing a hunch. Goddamn right I needed a shrink. But I got a message instead. Or part of a message, rather. My answering machine did the only noble thing and died. The last time we spoke, Stephen, you told me what your tech people reckoned. The good doctor's pirate radio signal likely originated somewhere in the Mojave. A little I can make out from my machine's dying breath corroborated this. Sunscreen time. In Hopi myth, Spider Granny is a $20 escort. She coddles the creatures of this earth, lubing them up for the big trip to the next. Mentors them as they change into different forms along the way.
Green Davenport was no spider granny. The only thing she'd escorted of late was a cheeseburger toward her pie hole. Several inches of Irene hung over an oppressed swivel chair. The motel parking lot was losing a battle with the encroaching sand. Tumbleweed blew across without mentioning this. Stars came out early. Need a room. And the biggest ashtray you got. Irene shifted in her seat. She had the body of an abandoned bulldozer and the gaps in her teeth to prove it. $20 a night. No refunds. Irene smirked. An electric fan tossed generous dollops of wind at her rust-dyed hair. I pulled two tens from my wallet and slapped them on the desk. About that ashtray. Irene's eyes had returned to the 1983 copy of Reader's Digest she held between fat fingers. <clears throat> I cleared my throat and leered. Irene leaned over to her right, arm reaching under the desk. Her brow furrowed over a wince, and she brought up an orange glass ashtray. It was huge. The ashtray landed on the desk with a thud. The glass was smudged gray from previous butts. Irene opened a drawer and pulled out a key on a plastic key holder. 237. I gave Irene a huge smile, picked up the key and ashtray, made for the door. No refunds. Was mumbled behind me, between the jingle of the chimes. to mention the refund policy twice. I hate it when people repeat themselves. The motel room smelled faintly of exhaustion and the occasional tryst. Noticeably lacking was the thick musk of rolling sin you find in the motel rooms of the American South. It's the humidity, see. Desert don't marinate a space. Lack of mold, too. The odd scorpion, sure, but it ain't got that familiar stink. It is laced with lines of biochemistry and differential equations, but the text points to a larger madness. Here's the long and short of it. Originally formulated in psychological terms was much more, uh, involved. All those stones he had turned over led him straight under his own pet rock. That had to have been unnerving. Best way to understand his tie-cutting job with the Institute and segue into full hermit. The Kincaid Observatory was shut down in 76. Excavating a clear reason why it was like digging for unicorns. Privately funded venture... Sears Tower-sized pile of NDAs littered the public record, as did the back-page editorials. Every Grub Street hack this side of the Pecos had their own version. I'd lifted a local map from the lobby, while Irene had her corneas affixed to Reader's Digest. 
No mention of the observatory on the paper map. Just desert with a side of canyon. The scraps from the mine had a litany of longitudes and latitudes between the biochemistry bits. One set of coordinates dropped you a few miles from the motel, deep in the desert, elevated, mesa or plateau maybe. Sleep again, black dreams of falling, arms windmilling about. <gasps> Wake up wet, think it's blood, just sweat. Something scratching outside the motel room door. Or someone. Hello? Throw open the door to empty parking lot and moths dancing on filthy fluorescence. I return to the dark of the room. Dirty motel glass greets my Montelobo Mezcal with a knowing smile. There will be no more sleep tonight. I reckon it was the good doc himself who set fire to the Nunavut site. Left in a hurry, methinks. Ground scorched around a deep crevasse at the bottom. Well, as low as I got, anyway. And he goes on about time. Takeovers are noticed and revolted against because they're noticed. If things change slowly enough, the human mind cannot register it. Usually. The patients he loots were often sent by their spouses. He noticed this, and it is in the dossier. Page 256. A lot of footnotes, Stephen. More formulas I need help understanding. The spouses frequently employ vague terms like off and not quite herself to describe their gripes. Seems, seems they struggle to pinpoint the malady because the changes were not Goddamn 20 minutes in and I'm already being shot at. The rental broke down a few miles from the motel. 78 Honda Accord. Cheapest they had. Decided to hoof it on account of the dreary hitchhiking scene in Mojave. I was ill-equipped for a desert stroll and the, the lead craning overhead wasn't helping. I had sandstone against my back and it was fast becoming a close friend. Only thing insulating my tender flesh from a death rattle, yet comfortable enough for a last resting place. I twisted around to get a look at my assailant. Silhouette against the orange burn of midday. Got the impression of a gent formally suited. One arm extended. As absurd as anything, really. I rifle around in the rucksack, frantically feeling for the binoculars. Fingers lock and I pull them out. Slow twist again with the knock strapped on and I could discern two well-dressed gents. Both their arms were extended. 
Now, Stephen, I've told you this before, and for that I apologize. I hate it when people repeat themselves. I have a curious phobia. I'm terrified of twins. Seeing those two suits on the hill had me queasy. Not only because of the hot lead circus they were putting on, but also on account of them appearing identical. I mean, I get that an excess of 50 elevated yards doesn't reap the best images, but definitely the same height and pose. Mirage? Doubt it. I've carried a small 38 caliber revolver ever since Sheffield. Shoulder holster. Had a rash from the damn holster. Dry in the desert, but still managed a big enough sweat under the leather to chafe. At this rate, I was banking on them running out of ammo. But the pistol felt good in my palm. Felt like hope. Fifty yards is a long shot with a snub nose. You know that. But you also know how impatient I am. I swiveled around and leveled the gun towards the hill. And Steven, I let two rounds go and swiveled back sharpish. That left me with four. Which brings me to the next point of concern. What I saw on that hill between blasts. Four. Not two like before, but twice that. Now as you can imagine, this didn't sit well with me. I was pretty quick to assess those odds and reckon the shootout to be lean meat. I needed inspiration and fast. Hadn't stuffed too much in the rucksack, but I always travel with inspiration. I pulled out the mezcal. About a melancholy quart left from last night's therapy. Bottom of the bottle met the sky and the glare blinded me. Inspiration. Raised the bottle over the boulder and turned it until it caught the sun. Now, Stephen, this was a Hail Mary. Swiveled around and fired in their direction. I swiveled back and launched to my feet. Sprinted down the dune until I was comfortably out of sight and range. No shots rang out. Memory, useless whore that she is, tells me I saw those four holding their hands to their eyes. I'm here to tell you about it, so that's something. After a while, I found some shade creeping from a juniper. Sat at it and surveyed the space behind me. No one in sight. I'll spare you the details of what happened from here. A series of bizarre mirages, low hum, dehydration, and one nasty scorpion sting. Needless to say, I now own a noticeable limp. The observatory revealed itself after cresting another hill. I was sick of seeing guano-encrusted cacti and grumpy lizards. The scorpion jab had left me with a persistent drool, and my head wouldn't quit twitching. I had, however finished vomiting. For now. On top of Butte, but still the sand had gathered around it, spilling into the ground floor windows. And yeah, I think that section, with all those chemical analyses, is from a sample he toted back from Canada. From the mine. A hunch. 
talked about global liminality a lot. Heaps of ink spilled on how evolution was applicable to psychology. Started waxing philosophical, too. Explains the vested interest in shipping and local courier services. An entire chapter dedicated to distribution and illustrated as well. Method of transmission, he'd scrawled in some footnotes. Door was chained and that didn't surprise me. Most things in this world are owned by someone, and there are altars to private property resting in the halls of justice. Kicking in a door only works on film and inside derelict tenements. I could have sprained an ankle. Right about that. He was clearly disgusted by some of the folks involved. At least in the beginning. Those last chapters of the document take on a tone. I had to reread them a few times to really see it, Stephen. He starts to seem... Sympathetic. To say I arrived at the front steps of the observatory in a sorry state is to say that most people thought they were destined for greater things. Pulling at the doorknob, the door didn't move. At all. Like all the time and sand had fused it into the larger structure. The paint had been stripped away by much of the same, but in the upper rightmost corner, someone had scratched in the symbol. Two-inch circle with a slightly smaller one growing from it. Like a tumor. These were locked together by a third circle, sealing the deal. That my leg now looked like kielbasa and was considerably less useful didn't help the kicking. No way in. I slammed my forehead against the warm steel and noticed it wasn't. It was cold. My magical forehead had hit Pater, for lack of a more plausible explanation. What sounded like an elaborate feat of engineering erupted within the steel of the door. Then, abruptly, it raised skyward. The chains dropped to the ground. A blast of frigid air welcomed my face. Glanced back before I stepped in. Atop that hill I traversed were eight stones I didn't remember. Looked like stones, but I swear they were swaying. Pure pitch greeted me as the door fell slowly behind. Could make out, albeit barely, steps leading downward from a square cut into the sandstone floor. Darkness beyond, and beyond promising. It isn't common knowledge that observatories have basements. After all, most folks think up when big-ass telescopes are involved. But they do. They do, but not all astronomical basements were created equal. Long maroon hallway light switch easy enough. Bulbs hiding in copper sconces buzz to dim life. In the belly of it, fur raised along the spine, things moving in there. Felt like digestion. Door at the end was thick as the entrance. Cold, metallic, steel maybe, but the texture was smooth and black. I thought about what Kenny had told me 
about the canisters and the interior of the shipping container. His face contorted with all the features of a man haunted. I placed my hands on the door. The door slid to the left. I didn't like it. What decorated the room was a circular wall of various monitors, knobs, and buttons. Colder. Loud, too. Sensory overload with the flashy bits and the noise. How he put it, they look like people, was the line, I believe. Or in that family of paranoia. But as I said, he would get into what makes a person a person, or an identity, as he put it, like he was really wrestling with it, like the morality of it. But nothing reliable. He'd repeat bits about difficulties with extremities and genitalia, describe their lack of biological analogs, so the mold was always incongruous. I walked over to the monitors on the far wall. My inner monologue was shouting situation room, just loud enough to drown out the whisper of R&D. There was a lower section in a circular bench decked out in the best fabrics 1976 had to offer. The monitors were in two rows of four. From the top left, the first screen had a monochrome image of dead desert. To the right, static. The third monitor had a series of rudimentary waveforms labeled in Latin. Insect names. Far right of the top row was sound navigation and ranging images, but unclear as to what was being surveyed. From the left on the lower row, the first monitor held static only. Next was a similar set of waveforms, but labeled with binary. Third from the left held deep image, cluster of galaxies and nebulae twinkling hope in the cruel void. This was the only image at home in an observatory. The last was the least. On that last screen sat eight figures just behind a hill, heads bobbing and clearly advancing. Easily, the most predominant feature of the room was the massive hole in the center of the lower floor. Unguarded by any fence or rail, it dropped off into pitch. Wires bound together and large zip ties crept out of the abyss in all directions. There were tubes moving liquid tied in with the electric bits as well. And a ladder. Pounding from outside. Unlikely to be a positive development. My eyes, instinctually found their way back to the monitors. What had been eight bobbing heads were now several torsos, decidedly greater than eight. Some were captured by the camera's frame, but judging by all the banging, there were more. On a bank of keys, buttons, and knobs lay a massive dossier, frayed pages held together by old rubber bands. I picked it up and immediately saw that logo and a familiar name stamped on the yellowed cover. One of the staticky monitors clicked to a view of the entrance, the exterior. Two suited gents were kneeling at the base of the door. Fat chance, Lugans. 
casino days long behind me, I could still smell the desperate nicotine in mathematics. It's an odds game, see. Men of larger faith dismiss the gamble as vice, but the cosmos has the home team advantage. I shoved the dossier into my bag. Not quite enjoying the symphony creeping out of the resident abyss, I was getting cozier with the idea of spelunking. The descent was as terrifying as uneventful gets. Hands peeling away too much rust. Makes you lose confidence. Makes you wonder where the corrosion ends and substance begins. But it held. The rungs of the ladder were lathered in a black, viscous liquid. Before my descent into pure pitch, I caught a glimpse of something that turned my stomach. That black ooze seemed to be absorbed too quickly by my skin, like it was finding the nearest pores and rushing inside. Like, with purpose. It took a long time, Stephen. Long time with the slime. Rung after rung, steady, complete darkness, alone with the observatory's vascular system. Wet at the bottom, the ladder ended about five feet from the floor of the dark tunnel. Single dim light from one end of the tunnel, nothing promising from the other direction. Squeaks and echo. Rats, maybe. Tried to pick up the pace, but that long puddle was splashing my chino something off. Quote, The source is a repulsive substance, like a sentient tar. It finds its host rapidly and enters through orifice or pore. Analysis inconclusive, but carbon dating puts it sometime around the early Mesozoic. The bad news is we don't know more than this. The good news is it's flammable. The patient ones. He begins to call them this towards the end. Much of this is illegible from the damage the docs got in Nunavut. There's a footnote that's been smudged out like he changed his mind. It says something about them doing a facsimile job on the human race. That nasty goo, too. He isn't a fan if I'm catching his tone correctly. I'm no boffin, but it seems the chemistry was, wasn't anything he tangled with before. It was hard-pressed to find a colleague who'd had. Those Lugans had breached the observatory and got subterranean sharpish. Dim light at the end grew and grew wider. Convinced I'd soon be chewing lugs or catch one on the bounce, I'd gone full sprint. The Chinos were a charity case. Big ass room. Slammed my back against the nearest wall away from the lead shower. The Lugans were still some distance down that trachea, sloshing around. As I said, the room was a giant circle. Hint of ambergris lingered if you took deep enough a breath. Dark as a grave, save for a single light shining down from a very high opening. That light landed on a black pool. Raised rough ring around it. Big enough to sit on, but I wasn't compelled. 
A single ladder rose from the thick liquid straight up into that light above. As my eyes adjusted to the light, I noticed what was placed along the walls and next to me. Canisters. Looked down at the little window on top of the one next to me. Just as Kenny described, whirls of flickering dust moved in a hypnotizing slowness. Had to look away. I noticed a canister which had been moved closer to the pool from the wall. A large tube led into it from the depths of that viscous froth. More outlines pulled into focus and I saw them. Along the far wall, several nude figures stood backs against the wall. Glistening skin, you got the feeling they'd been for a dip in that muck. Fresh suits hung next to them on metal hangers. Their eyes were open and unblinking. Bile rose in the back of my throat. I had to choke back a cough. Something about their hands, too. Were they some leftovers from a bygone epoch? Victims of misplaced DNA tossed onto our pale blue dot by gods older than distant galaxies? He wasn't sure. He was clear about that, Stephen. Little rogue waves danced in the pool. The liquid seemed to move of its own will. Tiny rivulets would crawl up the sides of the ladder and creep back down too slowly. Fingers emerged. Between the little waves, the tips of a child's fingers breached the surface. A hand, pale, almost translucent in its pallid glow. An arm and shoulder. The albino youth gripped a low rung of the ladder and pulled themselves up. The skin of the child was waxen, unformed. Reminded me of what Chastity had said about the pillow's butler. As the youth ascended the ladder, those rivulets seemed to cling to their flesh. Seemed to resist gravity. Like desperation. Or love. My mind did a little two-step and all those Bukninko bits bum-rushed my better judgment. You remember what Elliot told you? Mad as a hatter, but he mentioned he'd used that welding torch on those freaks at the pool. That the liquid had caught fire like sterno. That's where I got the idea. Zippo was wedged into the cellophane white Benson and Hedges, but I got her out. Just like Sheehan said... Inferno. The flames leapt high and whipped around, latching to anything and everything they touched. That thing on the ladder, really only a pastiche of an albino child, screeched something hideous. Animal. Attempted to scurry up the ladder, but came engulfed. With the albino thing, well done and freshly submerged in flammable liquid, I jumped back to my previous haunt against the wall just next to the entrance of the tunnel. Couldn't have the Lugans putting me behind the eight ball. They ran into the room. Now, Stevie, here's the elephant in the room. Those well-dressed automatons didn't even flinch at the fire. That's how I know they ain't human. Nobody ever said that. Truth is, they ain't entirely human. 
anymore, that is. They rushed into the room and stopped at the pool, staring inside. No way they could have seen that albino thing, but stared at the flaming muck like their eyes were peeled. Not one to waste an opportunity, I gave them the bum's rush. Sprinted full pace at the pool and hit them both just hard enough to send them into that liquid fire. Hauled ass back down the tunnel. Didn't get out of that hellhole unscathed myself. I'll spare you the gory details, Steven. Well, let's just say I ain't nearly as pretty as I once was. A metric fuck ton of crazy for sure. But that's how it happened. I thought you should know that. And here I am. Left Oslo last week. Bit of Trondheim and a night in Namsos. Yesterday in Storschlet. Large gentleman named Anders led me out of the river Reselva on a raft. He's got a guy in Rudgammon with a bigger boat. On Svalbard now. Miles on foot through a hateful battery of snow and ice. They look like people, he said. Yeah, Doc, they do, but they ain't. It's what's gonna be hardest, remembering this. I think Brutnenko fell for the gag in the end. But if what he concluded is on the up and up, then this mine up here is the last one. And I've brought matches. Look at their hands, Stephen. How they... Not sure how to describe this. Something about the process. He also seemed to think it all happens when you sleep. Look into that, will ya? Can't make, can barely, can make out a structure up ahead. Looks like a shack. Could be the mine, should be. I'm fucked if it isn't. Can see someone, a figure, waiting. My God, Mark, it's all true. Every bleeding word of it. Come on inside, Stephen. Let's get you out of those clothes.
Delivery is a podcast distributed by Celebrity Tumor and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial sharia-like international license. For information pertaining to the episodes, cast list and attributions, please visit deliverypodcast.com. The ending song is The Universe is Indifferent by M. T. Go. Ins. And can be found at mtgoins.bandcamp.com. If you've enjoyed delivery and would like to see more drama from Celebrity Tumor, please consider supporting us at Patreon, Ko-fi or via direct donation on deliverypodcast.com slash donate. Celebrity Tumor is an independent production unit, and depends on the kindness of patrons, such as you, to continue to produce advert-free content. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed Season 1 of Delivery.